Hello, and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. A critical review in the September 2020 issue addresses the topic not often seen in this journal, gene drives of genetically engineered organisms. The review focuses on the environmental risk assessment of genetically engineered organisms in the European Union. Today, we're talking with lead author Christoph Thien. Christoph is the executive director of Test Biotech in Munich, Germany. Hi, Christoph. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for inviting me. Can you start us off by telling us, in general, what a gene drive is? A gene drive is something which came up very recently in, in the world of genetic engineering. It's the idea that you can establish a genetic element in wild populations that do not follow the Mendelian rules for sexual reproduction. If an organism is propagating itself, there is a chance of 50% to transmit his genetic conditions to the next generation. And in case of gene drives, uh, we expect, if successfully established by genetic engineering, you can expect 100% in heritage of a new genetic information to the next generation. This technology concerns wild populations, not domestic. So this new genetic information can spread very rapidly into uh, the target wild population. And to establish it by genetic engineering, um, so-called gene scissor is used, uh, CRISPR-Cas, which is very well known also from genome editing. And this element is also used in the case of gene drives. So after sexual reproduction, after mating, the CRISPR-Cas construct will get expressed in the germline. And this means that all cells of the organisms and all chromosomes with the relevant genetic information will be changed by the gene drives. And in the end, what the result is, is a homozygous organism, a homozygous next generation of organisms, which all have the same genetic information on all chromosomes at the same place. And all progenies will carry the gene drive cassette to the next generation, and then it will get repeated. So you always will have 100% inheritance of your new genetic information to all following generations if your gene drive is working the way how it is meant to be. When you compare it to previous application of genetic engineering, so far if you do genetic engineering uh, in agriculture, you will try to produce just one generation of hybrid seeds. But um, gene drives are different. Gene drives are not meant to just generate one generation, but dozens of generations, hundreds of generations, and maybe uh, millions of individual genetically engineered organisms like insects. When we talk about gene drives, it's really different from applications we saw so far in genetic engineering. So now with regard to gene drives being about wild populations, what are some of the applications for gene drives? Currently, most discussions are about to combat malaria disease. Malaria is transmitted uh, by mosquitoes, and so the idea is to defeat uh, malaria by trying to suppress uh, the natural populations of mosquitoes or to eliminate them or to change their biological characteristics in a way that they can no longer transfer the pathogen from malaria. 
And there you see the two applications, basic applications, which are considered so far. One is to suppress wild populations or eradicate them. And the other application is a so-called replacement drive, which means to change the biological characteristics of the wild population by genetic engineering and replace the whole population, maybe, by genetically engineered organisms. So in case of malaria, it would mean that the mosquito no longer can transfer malaria, but it's still around, it's still flying, it's still biting, but it no longer can transmit malaria. And there are other applications like defeating agricultural pest insects, such as fruit flies or rodents, mice and rats. So basically the idea so far with gene drives is to get rid of organisms which are considered not to be desirable from the perspective of humans. Now your paper talks quite a bit about spatiotemporal controllability. Can you tell us a bit more about that? When you look to risk assessment in genetically engineered organisms, there is a basic precondition. You have to know which kind of time frame you're assessing. If there's no limitation in time and space, you have to start guessing about future evolutionary processes. So this is no longer science, it's just guessing. So what you need really is a determination saying, I have to assess 10 generations, and that's the kind of risk assessment I can do. See how these organisms will um, will survive after 10 generations, and I will have insight in their biological characteristics. But I cannot do risk assessment about an unlimited number of generations of genetically engineered organisms. This is completely impossible. We think that spatiotemporal controllability is a very basic precondition of any risk assessment in the field of genetic engineering. If you cannot make any prediction about it, if you cannot limit it in space and time, you have a real problem. And then, of course, we do not have many experiences. We do not have evidence that something goes wrong with gene drives because so far there was no real um, case of, of environmental release with it. And so what we try to raise is the idea that you need cutoff criteria to prevent any release of genetically engineered organisms, especially gene drive organisms, without sufficient control, without control in space and time. So far, we are missing any evidence or any plausibility that this technology will be controllable in the near future. The paper talks a little bit about the precautionary principle. What role do you see for the precautionary principle in guiding regulation of gene drives? Now, the basic idea of the precautionary principle, at least in GE regulation, is that you can take a risk, but you need to be prepared in case something goes wrong. You have to prepare effective measures um, which allow to correct or to interfere or to stop the release and in case of G organisms show adverse effects you can interfere with with the process of the release so you need adequate methodology first to produce risk assessment then you need resources and adequate methodology to do monitoring to see how the organism develops in the environment and then you need proper effective measures to stop the release in case something goes wrong and all these conditions so far are not met as as we can see in the case of gene drives. So we would say from the perspective of the precautionary principle, if you apply it, you cannot release it because as soon as you start the trial, you can no longer be sure that you can interfere and stop your experiment. And that's very much in contradiction with the basic idea of precautionary principle and any risk assessment which gives sufficient weight to the protection goals, environment and human health. It just seems almost insurmountable, the amount of preparation that 
researchers would need to have ready to go upon release of a, an actual gene drive, considering that they have to be able to stop it or interfere successfully if something goes wrong. These discussions are going on in international fora like the Conventional Biological Diversity, there's a technical group just discussing these issues, and also in Europe, as the European Food Safety Authorities, they all are discussing these issues. They really try to be positive to the technology as such, I think, most of them, but the question still needs to be answered. So it's really an open development, and if you really want to take care about the protection goals like human health and environment, you have to do a, a lot of preparation and work, and maybe you will still not be able to assess the risk you are taking, and you might turn things worse um, compared to, to the situation as it's now. And um, this kind of complex situation is really not easy for the risk assessors and not easy for the decision makers. Uh, absolutely. Do you think it's possible for the environmental risk assessment process to provide, let's say, reasonable safeguards for adverse outcomes that might result from gene drives? Well, that's difficult to predict because there is so much going on still. Um, science is developing, also the methodology for risk assessment is rediscussed. Maybe this question can only be answered in future. But for the time being, um, when you look to science, technology, and existing experience and methodology for risk assessment, we are not ready to go. So uh, we cannot start releases of gene drives organisms um, in a responsible way at the moment based on existing knowledge and experience. This is not possible. Thank you so much, Christoph, for talking with us today and shedding a bit more light on the current status of gene drives and and what our environmental risk assessors are going to need to keep in mind in the near future. Yeah, thanks to you. Hopefully it was a useful information. You've been listening to Christoph Tien discuss his article, Spatiotemporal Controllability and Environmental Risk Assessment of Genetically Engineered Gene Drive Organisms from the Perspective of European Union Genetically Modified Organism Regulation. Access the article in the September 2020 issue of IEAM. Just go to SeaTacJournals.org. I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.